Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number three. I am joined today, as always, by my co-host, Maggie Park. I'm Corey Olson. I guess I should mention that. And uh, today we are going to uh, uh, discuss more about adaptation. In particular, today we're going to be looking at the... Um, uh, we're going to take a look at the trailer. We're going to take a look at the, the Amazon trailer. And... I want to do something which I've seen very little of. I've seen a lot of nitpicking of the trailer. I've seen a lot of anxiety about the trailer. I've seen a lot of um, very interesting and engaged speculation based on the trailer. But what I have not seen much or gotten myself much of a chance to participate in is an actual discussion of the story in the trailer like you know there's been a lot of like focus on details and what those details might mean or tell us whether you know whether that's coming from a place of um you know anxiety and upset or whether that's coming from a place of excitement and anticipation um a lot of focus on the details very natural i mean of course far be it from me to criticize anyone for like looking at something really in careful detail and such um but i feel like a lot of the big picture is being uh, kind of lost, and I haven't seen mm. many people talking about uh, the big thing, the big, the bigger picture. So, let's start off. And there's and there's so, loads of speculation. Ahead. Yeah, there's loads of speculation of you know, oh, this could mean that, and that could mean this, and I love that. That's fun. But yeah, I also haven't yeah. seen a lot of any kind of actual discussion about it as a film project. You know, people right. aren't talking about a little bit about the CGI and things like that. But I feel like I haven't seen a lot about setting and lighting and you know, camera angles and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's actually um, for this exercise, let's not think about uh, not let's, let's not think even about Tolkien lore and stuff. Let's just look at this as a piece of its own. What is the story that we're seeing here? What is this about? Um, and um, anyway, so let's uh, let's just watch it through again. And but uh, but as we watch it, I want you to think about that. Don't 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 focus in on details. Don't start asking questions like what does this mean? What does this tell us about Galadriel's character or whatever? What's the story? What's happening in this show? Like pretend you've never heard of this show before and know nothing about anything of the background. What are we getting? What are we seeing? Mm -hmm. um, what is this show? seem to be interested in and of course what we're getting is not the show we're getting a trailer for the show right so they're this is a piece of messaging about the show they're trying to tell us something about the show to prepare us in a certain way for what this show is interested in are we picking up what they're putting down <laughs> let's let's see if we can do that right okay so let's watch it through and then we'll kind of talk it through probably something more like scene by scene after that um all right so here we go Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? There's wonders in this world beyond our wandering.
Okay. So, oh, sorry. Accidentally started again. Um, okay. So now, and first I want to acknowledge a whole, like, a, a, several of you have been making comments which are, are perfectly correct. Right? Perfectly correct. Edith was saying, I'm a little leery of trying to interpret a story based on a short trailer. I've seen too many trailers that don't turn out to be complete or that turn out to be completely irrelevant to the film that they're teasing. Totally agree. That can absolutely happen. Right. So we have to totally keep that in mind as we're doing this. Right. Who knows the conclusions that we might draw about what this trailer is doing, what this trailer is doing and what the actual show ends up doing might end up being sort of widely separated. Right. But this is what we've got <laughs> right now, and and but but I do uh, but I I do think Edith that that's a really really important point to make though right that when we're drawing conclusions about the trailer we have to remember it's it's perfectly legit to draw conclusions about what story we're getting from this trailer we just have to remember that Ed, that's a conclusion about this trailer and not necessarily a conclusion about the show um uh, so yeah that's very um. Uh, that's, that's very, uh, 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 very, very sensible. Um, and, um, what, uh, okay. Um, you have a very long name that starts with something about Spartans, uh, says that, uh, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's sort of a collage, not a real trailer. Yes and no. I, I, I'd be cautious about that. So first of all, yeah, it's true. This is not, I mean, we're not getting, it's, it's not a piece of narrative, right? So when I talk about the story of the trailer, I'm being a little bit figurative and how I'm talking, because it's not, of course, just a narrative from one end to the next. And especially the latter parts, right? The, the last 20 seconds or so, it's very collage. Like I agree, we're getting, we're getting a whole bunch of images. However, I think we'd be foolish to assume that, those are just kind of slapped together in there, right? Um, I mean, and, and Maggie, you know more about this than I do, but I've always been under the impression, I'm not saying that all trailers are well done because there are bad trailers out there, obviously, um, but trailers are fairly carefully crafted Okay. pieces of 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 you know marketing right i mean this they're they're they are definitely trying to do something very particular they're trying to capture something very particular maybe they'll succeed maybe they won't maybe the thing that they're capturing is like the heart of the show maybe it will turn out to be quite far from the heart of the show but they're totally doing a thing right well and this was my thought with like when you're creating a trailer as well that's a, usually a different department you know it's completely different set of skills and it's a tool in the marketing machine like mm -hmm. it absolutely will tell us things about the story and we can glean some some nice little nods and information but i was so i mean we'll go through it frame by frame kind of a thing but like i was so impacted by how they were showing us these things and right. what they were showing wasn't as important and what came before it as well that we had right. the posters beforehand so we had 23 24 images yeah. that brought in all the speculation and then the 60 second thing that was landscapes and characters and sweeping establishing shots and stuff like that they're really just setting foundations like here's what visuals you can expect yeah now yeah. we'll get into detail you know so it's really yeah. just like ooh, let it land and the pacing of the trailer too you know it starts with these like slower establishing shots and the collage at the end is like boom 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 boom, boom. that's supposed to get you hyped up you know that, that right. they're looking for that emotive response and from people that, who have never seen it but then also yeah. getting like the nods from the fans that are like oh my god oh my god oh my god you know they're hitting all right. those things yeah yeah and then of course the thing that i think so i'll jump ahead i wasn't going to talk about this first but since you were just mentioning that Sorry. um <laughs> 
No, 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 no. It's good. Um, the what I think is the most effective part of the trailer is the hand clasp at the end, right? Um, because of that pacing thing, right? We get this um, continuously accelerating pace all the way through the trailer um, until we get the boom, 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 shot, 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 and then the the pause on the um, hands, right? As you said, very much it's very set up by the posters right where we were getting all torsos and hands of people right and we got this super close up of the two hands um both of both of which hands we saw in the posters right this is uh you know uh, acorn girl and apple dude uh right <laughs> who are holding hands here or she is taking his hand he's holding out his hand to her and she's taking it right um and uh and you know the, the 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 way that we get the you know the 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 sort of silence is kind of the you know the the way that the music climaxes mm -hmm. uh, and freezes and then the scene slows down and we get the slow tender thing and then the and then the long dark pause. I mean, That's it's, purposeful. They're taking yeah. me on this emotive journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's. Um, uh, that's really interesting, you know, like that's that's, uh, I, you know, and so, and this this tells me something. So like, I, I, I wasn't going to start here, but maybe I'm glad we started here because this is to not only is it the last image, they have made this into a climactic image. Like mm -hmm. it is clearly, uh, as you say, a, both Important. an emotional and uh, 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 kind of, I don't know. I mean, they, 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 they hit this really hard. And I think if there's a single visual image that sticks with you from the trailer, it's very likely to be this one of the hand holding at the mm. end, you know, the reaching out the hand and the, the small hand uh, coming and grasping it. Um, you know, when we were discussing this, when I was discussing this with the wondering.net folks on Super Bowl evening, we were talking about tenderness and hope seeming to be kind of attached to this. And I can see both of those things. It's it, of course, Lots of people are suspicious, like it might be deceptive, right? You know, we, they might be, you know, sort of setting us up to be shocked and surprised. Um, but it certainly is a, um, uh, it certainly is a very um, soft, quiet, tender moment compared to all of the fast-paced, bright lights. It's even, it's even like uh, sort of dark. Right. I mean, like, the, you know, mm -hmm. it's just this dark, plain background. Um, none of the gorgeousness. Right. We've got the like the, you know, the simplest fabrics, the dirtiest hands and the plainest background of anything in the whole trailer. Right. So. Um, and so and many of the other shots are balls of fire and battle scenes and in full on action, which obviously is also purposeful. Let's hook those people in that want to see that kind of Game of Thrones. You know, I don't want to do too many allusions to that, but that is, you know, the. Yeah. the yeah, they're after, but sure. then to end on this soft, thoughtful moment, I, I do think that's quite purposeful. It'd be like we got something a little different. Yeah, exactly. And it, it seems to me, um, I mean, you can think about this as a sort of a as a message of the. If I think about like what this tells us about the message the trailer is sending, right? The message that I feel like the trailer is sending here is. Hey, this show is not. Yes, we have all this stuff, like which we were just showing off, right? We have like the battle sequences and the gorgeous landscape and the, uh, you know, the the incredible scenery and um, 
uh, the improbable action and <laughs> all of the action stunts and all of this stuff, right? And monsters and everything else. Um, but mm-hmm. this, sh- the focal point of this show, like what matters in this show is going to be like the personal relationships, right? This is going to be a right, story about people. Yeah, about people and the connection among people. So again, that's that's what I felt like the trailer was communicating by, mm-hmm. through this choice, through this choice of, of the, the, the the very remarkable focal point that they made this in the trailer. Agreed. And that they end on that because there's so much leading up to it that didn't feel run of the mill because I don't think this was run of the mill. But there was stuff at the beginning that was, I think, supposed to just ground us in what we already know. It was almost mm-hmm. like calming the herd. Like, yes, look, there is this beautiful shot that does kind of remind you of Minas Tirith. And look, there is this soft lighting that does kind of remind you of Rivendell. And so right. there are these nice right. little things that I don't think they minded the associations that we all have from past adaptations. Right. Which is like, great, cool. Fans are happy. Tick. Right. And if I'm not a fan, you would watch that and be like, oh, yeah, I remember those big movies. That was pretty fun. You know, it would it would right. draw you in. And then you get the bam, 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 bam action. And then you get, oh. So, yeah, I do like that they really ended it on that, the not gilded thing, the not fiery thing, the mm-hmm. real soft human connection or yeah. hobbit connection. Right, right. Person connection in any case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing that I take from this. I, I want to be, I'm, I'm a little bit more, I was, I felt very confident about my first conclusion. This second conclusion, I am a little bit less confident in, but it still seems to me fairly likely or fairly conspicuous in any case. Um, It may seem like a small thing, but how dirty their hands are. We talked about Mm -hmm. the dirty hands in the posters, right? Mm -hmm. That was a big deal in the post, very apparent in the posters. And one of the things that we were talking about, I'm not sure we ever got around to actually having this part of that conversation, which we never quite got to finish because the whole bunch of stuff kept happening. But um, one of the conclusions that I was drawing from the posters themselves, even before the trailer came out, was that they appear to be doing some really interesting sort of class mixtures in this story, which is a really important thing both for them to show and for us to see. Um, and I say class. The reason I use the word class, um, I, and I'm not trying to be too like Marxist about this or something. Um, all I'm saying is in The Silmarillion as a whole, and especially in the really sketchy Second Age stuff, all we know about um, are the like kings and rulers. Right. right. I mean, like we know nothing about the actual like people of Middle Earth. And if, uh, and if we're time. talking about world building, you have to have people. Right. So I think that they they seem to be signal. All the dirty hands seem to me to be signaling. This is oh. not just going to be a show that's only interested in the kings and queens and what they're up to. Um, which, I mean, if you think about it, even things like the Hobbit films, you know, you have Dale in the Hobbit films as the like working man connection, right? You know, Bard is sort of your, you know, commoner perspective, right? But the dwarves and elves are almost exclusively princes Mm -hmm. and princelings, right? I know not all of the dwarves in the Hobbit party are princes, but, um, but they're, you know, they're sort of part of the elite, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're not like, 
Joe Dwarf working at his forge. You know, um, this is Thorin, the returning king, and his companions, right? Um, and uh, sorry, yeah, no, no, go ahead. Now, if you think of it in terms of like tension for a story, too, you know, class is such a no-brainer that, of course, we're going to have these interspecies relationships that people are all discussing the human and the elves and things like that, and and the tension that that creates. But if you just think about something as simple as like Downton Abbey, the entirety of that tension is between the classes of upstairs and downstairs. You know, Titanic yeah. upstairs and downstairs. Upstairs like and downstairs, this yeah. is a tension that the whole world can understand and has seen examples of. So I wouldn't use that really real life thing and pull that into this fictional world because it'll just you'll get in there that much faster. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 it, it honestly it answers a question for me. Um, about their adaptation approach, right? Like, so they, you know, we've mentioned before, the Second Age, like, there's all this wide open space, right? We have these, like, few small islands of incidents and characters about even, and the, even the characters we know very little about, as far as, like, what they were like and, 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 and everything, you know, like, right. as people, as characters, in fact, rather mm-hmm. than just, um, you know, names in a genealogy or whatever, um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so we, um, uh, there's so much room for them to fill stuff in, but of course there's still only so much they can do in a show. Right. So the question was like, where, where was their focus going to be? What, what were they going to be doing? And so one of the things that I've ever since they released the posters, one of the things that I've been getting really clearly is these are stories that are going to be, they're not neglecting the high figures, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get Celebrimbor, we're going to get Gilgalad, we're going to get Galadriel, we're going to get Elrond, we're going to get the King of the Dwarves, we're going to, you know, like we're, get, we're, we're getting all of those people who are sufficiently important that their names get into the historical synopses, which is all we have from the Second Age, is the historical synopses. Um, but they've also been showing pretty clearly that we're going to be getting more. We're going to be getting also life in Middle-earth, right? How mm-hmm. normal people were living during the Second Age. Um, that's what I love about the idea of including hobbits, actually. Um, I don't think there's any there's any serious problem, theoretically, you know, with including hobbits. I mean, the hobbits had, am- had ancestors, and the only thing that we were told for sure, is that we don't know anything about them. So, uh, you know, uh, it's fine. Excellent fodder um, for adaptation. Yeah, great, excellent, uh, excellent terrain uh, Mm -hmm. there. And anyway, and I've loved the idea, again, ever since the posters and our discussions of the posters, I have liked the idea of using hobbits as a kind of uh, foundation there, like to to, to help us as readers be in touch with what it was like to live in Eriador in the Second Age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was life like on the ground uh, for the common people? Uh, because remember, this is one of the things that makes The Lord of the Rings as a story so successful, yeah. um, is the way that we are grounded in the Hobbit framework and we see everything from the Hobbit point of view. Um, I think that on that level, I think the choice to have Hobbits is uh, yeah. a really good idea you know is a really good idea and that brings me back to where i had originally been planning to start which is at the very beginning the thing that surprised me most about the i want to just like i want to watch the opening sequence um so the first chunk of the trailer that i look at as one unit is uh right up until the first title 
shows, right? The voiceover part, right? Um, the voice, which is, mm-hmm. I think, pretty clearly a Hobbit voice. So the very fact that they've chosen what seems to be a Hobbit voice. And by the way, I'm going to continue using the word Hobbit. People say Harfoots. I know like in the show they call them Harfoots. And I get that. Of course, I know where they're coming from there. And I understand they're not using the word Hobbit because they're not wanting everybody to think this is this is the Shire. Right. You know, this is exactly, the, you know, that there's a there's there's a, you know, these are the, you know, forefathers of the forefathers of the forefathers of the Shire Hobbits. Um, and they're wanting to be clear about that and not. But I'm going to be much less cautious and just like risk fomenting confusion um, and still call them Hobbits until I'm forced to do otherwise. Uh, but anyway, so like listen to her voiceover and her voiceover. And again, I, I think in seeing the trailer, like the first, I don't know, 15 times I saw the trailer, I was still so focused on the visuals, right? Like, wow, oh, that's probably Numenor. And ooh, look at the landscape. And oh, what's going on here? That I was like barely even processing the fact that we were getting a, a, a voice. Like a, a, a there is a little story arc that we're given at the beginning here, right? A frame to this story, an initial frame that the voiceover provides, right? Haven't you ever wondered... What else is out there? Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? So we have the first question, who's speaking? And the second question, to whom is that? Who's the you who's supposed to be wondering what else is out there? Right? And of course, the way that it functions as voiceover, implicitly, we the viewers are the you. Right, we're the ones being, or the question is being asked of us as we're watching. Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? Right, um, which, by the way, I think is actually a brilliant opening line for this trailer, um, because especially of course, the, the, go ahead. I get, I get excited, especially yeah, with yeah. the scenes they just showed us. You know, they're showing us these incredible, sweeping, establishing shot views, and saying, "Can you imagine what else is out there?" So, like, and the way it was said too, it, it was as if she was sitting next to us and was kind of telling us a secret from her heart. There's this right. like real soft connection of like, haven't yeah. you ever wondered? Like she's trusting us because yeah. she's never left, which means she's quite narrow, but there's this big world that we just got a glimpse of. And there's yeah. this, there's this immediate connection even in that first few seconds. Yeah, I agree. There's a, there's a kind of vulnerability in mm-hmm. the questions and the way they're asked. Absolutely. And of course, I love how it speaks on several different levels, right? We have the inside the frame where Apparently, we are hearing from, as you say, a character who has lived a sheltered, you know, probably geographically, but not imaginatively restricted life, right? Um, but of course, at an, on, a, on another level, we as viewers are being asked the question, haven't you ever wondered what else is out there when mm. we're being shown a shot of Numenor, which we've never been able to see? before in any other adaptation right um so the 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 applicability not just to like movie fans but even to tolkien fans themselves right um hey so you know the lord of the rings right you've mm. heard of numenor but you've never you've never seen it right or and haven't so many, you wondered yeah right, have you ever wondered what else is out there here's what's beyond the boundaries of you know like the lord of the rings story that you know especially if you've only seen the peter jackson films um so i i, I love that kind of um 
that kind of doubling there, which mm-hmm. I think is really, which I think is really fun. I th- I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it's really cool. Um, but, but I want to focus for a second on inside the frame. I want, I want to come back to, as you say, to that, to this character and how that character is being developed. And again, you know, we only get a few seconds, but look, this is how screen adaptations work, right? I mean, yep. you know, I, I, I've been reflecting, uh, you know, Maggie, on what you were saying about how long shots normally are, you know, a single mm-hmm. shots. Um, there is a very great deal of narrative and, uh, you know, sort of emotional and, um, you know, other kinds of like work that is being done, that, that is done by a film in a, you know, a two second shot, a three second shot. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I, I think um, I'm always very, resi- there, there are a lot of people who are very resistant to kind of digging too deep, you know, and being like, oh, like you can't take, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, they didn't mean all that. And of course, whether or not they intended everything that I'm seeing in a shot, I don't know. But it is certainly true that they're intending a lot. It might not be the things that you're seeing, but they're definitely intending a lot. These, uh, I, I get the vague impression sometimes talking to people that people believe that movies are just like slapped together, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's that's, just not true. That's like one of my first film classes ever. The entire lecture was just nothing is an accident. Nothing yeah. is an accident. Now, every single thing in that shot is, first of all, very expensive. Somebody yeah. had to go out and choose the color or buy the thing or whatever. So yeah. everything is very considered. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember there's an anecdote that really brought this home to me. And it was an anecdote from a, a, a former colleague of mine um, uh, at the college that I used to teach. And he was telling a story from when he had been teaching at another school down in the South. And um, they were, uh, somebody came, there were, a, a, a production came and was filming a, a, a movie on site on the campus while he was there. Um, and this one shot was shot in one of his colleagues' offices, one of his senior colleagues' offices, big office with like huge bookcases and stuff. And of course his professor's office, huge bookcases covered with books, looked very scholarly, right? When they shot the, f- the scene, and I'm, I'm forgetting the movie. I think it was like a Bette Midler movie. I forget what it was. Anyway, um, uh, the, when, they, when, they, when they did the shot, um, in the office, you could see the wall of books in the background. You couldn't read them. You couldn't tell what books they were, but you could see them in the background. In preparation for the shot, they removed all of the professor's actual books from the bookcases and replaced them all with different books, which you also couldn't read the spines of or anything. It wasn't like they were planting particular books. There was They were all out of focus in the screen, but like they didn't, they didn't like the actual scholarly books of the actual scholarly, you know, resident of that office, which like, it wasn't quite right. So they just like, they took out those books and replaced them with different books for no other reason than just, I mean, like, that's the kind of thing that they do. It's not just enough to be like wall of books. That's what we're trying to establish wall of books. They had wall of books, but they wasn't exactly the correct wall of books. Yeah. But even like what you're describing, I'm like, oh, well, it was probably something about the color mallet. Like, right. It it, probably was. Yeah. They had, to shift that around so it muted the you know it yeah. matched the clothing that they were wearing because the tone of that scene was subdued and you know so there's right. 
so many factors that could go into it. And if there were red books behind her, that would throw the whole thing off. And yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's so it's just like there's 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 there. Yeah, there's there's nothing taken for granted. Again, that's not to say that every theory anybody comes up with about what they intended is correct. But um, but I'm I am always resistant to people's resistance when they say like, oh, you know, I think that's thinking about it too hard. Like they like they think about it really hard. They think about yeah. every scene really hard. It's part of like, what the art is here. I remember seeing the Lord of the Rings exhibit when it came to London where you could see, you know, the chain mail that they put together by hand and stuff and the model of Minas Tirith that had clotheslines and spilled beer and, and right. on sides of the model that was never shot, you know, right. it's just... Right. Everything is done to the the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it's one of the reasons why movies are so expensive, is that well, they, especially they when the expectation is this high. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah, you can definitely go see a crap movie that did not put things you know thought together behind. They just had a free place to shoot for a few hours. Like, yeah, there's a lot of crap movies that are slapped together, but this isn't one of them. <laughs> this is right. one that is very thought out, and there's departments to choose what book yeah. is behind them. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Anyway, but I'm, I, I've gotten distracted. Let me let me let me let me go back and get, no. get the initial question and continue through. Haven't you ever wondered what else is out there? There's wonders in this world beyond our wandering. Okay, so that's the second line. There are wonders in this world beyond our wandering, right? And we're, this is when we're getting the sweeping landscape shot, right? Up over the crest of the hill and then down into, like, behold, New Zealand, right? Um, but, um, and this is, of course, where we get probably the single visual element that I understand least. Um, that is why anyone goes backpacking with them. And I, I antlers, like, I just, I, I can't do the antlers. I don't get it. I don't, maybe it'll, I, I'm, I'm still hopeful. I mean, like, I'm, I'm pretty good at like suspending disbelief and I'm pretty good at like giving the benefit of the doubt. So I'm not going to just pan it for the moose antlers. I'm just saying I need an explanation, right? <laughs> Why on earth anybody would go around with like, at least the equivalent of like 50 pounds of moose antler strapped to your sides. Like it's. I'm, I'm telling myself they're sleds because that's some serious grassland and they have some ground to cover. So they just put their butt on it and slide down the grasses. Okay. If it has a, like a convertible function, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for that. I don't uh, really know. I'm, yeah. yeah. Like, I, and I would not critique anybody who like wore uh, enormous antlers on their shoulders like that for like ceremonial purposes and stuff. But like I'm going hiking. I got to first strap on my massive antlers. Like I don't, mm -hmm. I just, I don't get it. I don't get that at all. I just, I, I just don't get that. But anyway, apart from, go ahead, go ahead. There's a comment here of Art of Praise Moyer. That was the other thing I actually thought too, of like, there's probably some sort of trade element happening that they're on their way to market. They've just come back from hunting, you know, we can assume Maybe. they're probably a valuable item in terms of creating buttons and needles and whatever else. If this sure. is the most convenient, I'm not even convinced that this would be the most convenient way to haul them. If you're just hauling antlers for, for like, you could still overlap them and strap them to your back. The wind resistance alone, much less the weight. Well, but maybe um, bone is less dense in Middle Earth. I don't know. I, who knows? Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's all good. Anyway, who knows? But, um, 
But apart from moving that, on so from the antlers. moving on from the antlers, <laughs> trying to get past my antler problem, um, we have um, again the 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 line right, like what she has said. She just refers to our wanderings, and we get these two, the two wanderer characters. It looks like right. So we go from um, what from the frame of reference of the speaker seems to me to be the wonderful, fantastical, outside-her-world shot of Numenor there at the beginning to this is this is her world, right? This is her wanderings. And, which is, um, by the way, I also love the way, thinking again about kind of the overlay of how we as viewers are responding to this, right? Um, one of the really cool things is that, okay, no, we've never seen uh, Numenor before, you know, we've never seen a city in Numenor before, but we have seen cities, right? Cities are familiar to the majority of the viewers, right? Whereas wanderings like this through the wilderness, you know, wandering along the ridge in this like vast open country is in fact quite foreign, right? And the idea of the, um, you know, the untamed wilds of Middle Earth, that's one of the things that people enjoy escaping to, right? From our world and into that, you know, those wild, untamed frontiers of Middle-earth. Um, and whereas, again, from within the frame of the speaker, this is to her the familiar, right? But there's this way in which that gets kind of ironically reversed. Um, mm. On the one hand, in that first line, we, we are brought in close to the, um, we're sharing Right. We're, we're hearing her sharing with us. Haven't you ever wondered? Right. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I have imagined, you know, that there are like really like this, you know, so this this act of fantasy. Right. We're being invited into this act of fantasy. Um, but then we're kind of distanced from her, I think, in the second shot, because this seems to be her familiar world. And this is not our mm. familiar world. Right. This is um, both of them arguably, are equally um, wonders beyond our imagination, <laughs> right? Um, and yet that's not the case for her. So I, I, th I think that that's um, uh, kind, of, uh, uh, kind of interesting there. Um, so I also I love could... the alliteration there of the, the wanderings and the wanderings because it harkens back to that hymn, you know, I wandered as I wandered. And, yes, right, right, right. You know, there's right. there's just so many lovely little associations with that. Yeah, that yeah the wordplay of wandering feel... and wandering is really fun. Yeah, yeah. it feels very yeah. inviting. I agree. And uh, by the way, I, um, if I could just do a little public service announcement to people who are here in the chat. Um, people, if you are here in the chat and you are currently, like, asking lore questions about Tolkien lore and what they may or may not be doing with a point of Tolkien lore, that's a very relevant question, and we're totally interested in talking about that. But can I just suggest, let's think about this right now. Can we do that? Think about this right now. L listen. Let's listen. Listen more, talk less is a really cool thing for doing all this stuff. Like, let's, we'll get there. We'll get to those questions, um, but um, but let's think about this together. Is what I would suggest to you. Um, okay, uh, so um, and then at, we get the third scene. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I can feel it. 
Now, the I can feel it as we zoom in on her face is what, of course, leads me to believe that she's the speaker. Right. Um, when we get the uh, the first person statement, right? Not only a first person statement, but a deeply personal expression of emotion, right? I can feel it, right? Um, that we get as we're zooming in on her face and her bright eyes, you know, widened and looking up, right? Um, uh, so, and what do we see here? Or what do we hear from that line? I can feel it. What can she feel? Mm. The conviction that there the are... The call to adventure. Right, the call to adventure. Like, she can feel that there are, you know, wonderful places beyond her imagining, right? Beyond their mm -hmm. wandering. Um, that there's something else out there. Um, and she has a firm conviction about it. And notice her conviction, her conviction is based not in lore, right? She's not heard stories about it. She's not... You know, she's not believing in the traditions of their people. It's a personal conviction. I can feel it, she says, right? I can feel it. And that's kind of interesting to me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and what do we see in this shot? What do you make of this shot? What I find the light source in this shot really interesting in a couple different mm -hmm. ways. What are your thoughts about that? Because it's, it's like dark, but we get this very prominent light source in the middle, right? It's incredibly warm, and it yes. did make me think of the whole rule of thirds thing that I was talking about. Um, did I talk about this last time, or was this in my class? Where you can divide an image with a tic-tac-toe box, and the rule of thirds is this like idea that if you can do that to an image, divide it by thirds this way and this way, then your brain's really happy. Uh, mm -hmm. So I looked at this and was just like, oh, yes, satisfying. So between like the super warm light right in the center, yeah. her very childlike curly hair, warm and friendly, inviting, and also how she's sitting and looking up. It's very childlike. It's very, very childlike. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like she's looking up at Santa. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it just all kind of gives to this like warm and fuzzy kind of feeling. Um, it also really reminded me of Tinkerbell from Hook, the Julia Roberts <laughs> version. <laughs> so that whole association, I was just like, oh, childhood, you know, it was right. just a sweet, right. cozy right. feeling. Her voice as well, I think, throughout mm. the, the, the voiceover here seems tailored to elicit that same kind of response. It sounds like a child's voice. Um, um, and eliciting that kind of childlike wonder, imagination, mm -hmm. dreaming. Um, uh, and then, but then this is the moment when, with the shift between the theoretical, haven't you ever wondered, to the present and uh, uh, sort of convicted, I can feel it, right? Um, that's becoming a reality now. Like this is the moment when I'm, you know, like, mm -hmm. she's gonna seize the day in some way, some sense, right? There's some change that's coming, that's happening right now, right? We've come to a, a turning point in her career, right? When it also looks like she's not in a permanent location, like she's already on the move somewhere. Right. And it definitely looks like we're having a restful moment around a fire, but she's very dirty. So we assume they're on some sort of a journey, right? Like right. there's kind of already this idea, oh, did they have to leave somewhere? Are they moving towards something better, something worse? Like, yeah, you're, you kind of already are set up for this. Oh, tell me the story around the campfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, and so when I think about... So again, the very first thing that I found, the more I thought about it, the more striking I found it. And it 
connects back to what we were saying about what I was saying about the dirty hands and the the whole class thing, right? Um, I was ready when I was like prepared to watch the trailer. I'm sitting there in the Super Bowl waiting for the commercial break in which the trailer was going to play, and it was like two or three commercial breaks after I thought it was going to be, and so I I kept uh, you know sort of impatiently waiting for the next commercial break, and um, uh, anyway. As I was watching, getting ready for the, I was, I was like, when the opening sequence comes, I'm like, okay, lay it on me. Like, give me Galadriel, give me Gilgalad, give me Celebrimbor, right? And what we got instead was this entirely different perspective, right? The opening gambit of the entire show, right? And as much as this trailer is the opening gambit of the entire, uh, the entire process of preparing us, at least, for the show, um... The opening gambit is a mortal perspective mm. and this sort of childlike hobbitish perspective, which is perceiving the greatness. It's that f the fantasy move, right? Thinking about Tolkien's writings on fantasy and on fairy stories, right? That um, uh, escape, uh, fantasy and escape uh, and even consolation um, concept of fantasy. Um, that's the perspective that we get first. And of course, I cannot help but think um, of the themes, these kinds of themes as they are developed. Um, I want to be careful here. Tolkien doesn't develop too many themes. We get references to, the, and the primary references we get to these are pretty non-mainstream. I'm thinking especially here of, we get hints of it in the Silmarillion. Um, when the humans arrive in Beleriand, Right? When the humans arrive in Beleriand, we're told that they were wandering because they heard that there was a light in the West. Right? Mm. Um, they were living in dark and danger, but they heard that there was a light in the West, and they've been going to seek it. Right? So that's what we're told in the Silmarillion. We're given very few details about that. It's, it's not a really a fully developed story or a fully developed theme. But that concept is really central to the human experience in the Elder Days as we get it in the published Silmarillion, that perspective of there's something else out there. There's a bigger story that we can be a part of. There's a light in the West. There is consolation. There's more than, um, you know, the lot of men was, is unhappy, but there's more than that possible. There's more than that that's out there, right? Um, and so that's, once I began to really kind of process the first half of this trailer, I began to, it, it, I was like, okay, it's really, they seem to be playing on that theme, like that whole kind of idea. Now, I don't know where mm -hmm. she's going to end up going, right? I don't know who the, it looks like, of course, over on the left-hand side looks to be the shaggy, rough wool robe of Apple Dude, whose hand mm -hmm. she takes at the end, right? So there, this is the beginning moment, you know, and yeah. he seems to be associated with her conviction, by you know, I think he's the one she's looking up to, right? He's he's the Santa Claus, as you're pointing out in this picture, right? Um, and then she's take she takes his hand, at the yeah, end. and that is the lovely bookend of this that yes. we have that voiceover and that pause, that almost silence. It's only her voice we hear there, really, and then all this action, boom, 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 and then we get this back at the end. So it's this lovely like ah, with yeah. all this good stuff in the middle that gets you really right. excited. Exactly. I'm going to let my cat out. I'll be right back. Okay, sure, sure. Anyway, so I, 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 I'll go through some of the other uh, stuff here. Um, this is, 
this stuff is where I found the heart. Oh, hang on a second. I'm just looking at her changes of facial expression. Isn't that interesting? She goes through like several different expressions. Uncertainty at the beginning. So I just I just started I was about yeah. to advance past and that led me to just like I kind of accidentally with my finger did a frame by frame over her. <laughs> the mm-hmm. changes in her facial expression at the very beginning when it cuts to it originally, when it when it fades in, we get um Yeah. Her she's that kind very, of gawking. Yeah, gawking and nervous maybe uncertain Mm -hmm. and then there's this like flash of a smile which is still kind of a an uneasy smile like is Mm -hmm. it okay for me to smile kind of smile and then it kind of fades again like i'm not 100 percent sure of exactly you know there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of her face here seems to be at odds with the words that they're voicing over it right i can feel it is very confident, right? Is very certain. Um, but her face does not really look altogether certain. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. Anyway, okay, cool. Anyway, so then we get the second part, which is dominated by these titles, right? Before the king with the waterfall and the, the ice climbing Galadriel. And then before the fellowship. And then we got the arrows and then before the ring. Um, Now, the titles themselves uh, are clearly references to the movies, right? I mean, this is, yeah, this is trying to frame this in relationship with everything else, right? Yes, of course, it's before the king, meaning it's before the return of the guy. Like, the return of the king is they're like winding back the clock deliberately, right? The Peter Jackson trilogy ends with the return of the king because everyone's trying to pretend the Hobbit movies didn't happen. So we end with return of the king, right? So we're winding back before that and then oh, before the fellowship, right? Because mm-hmm. okay, so that's you know the the beginning of the Peter Jackson sequence. No, 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 it's even before that, right? We're going back before that, uh, and then of course before the Ring itself, um, even before the Ring of Power was created. So and and so that the third one is the sort of the 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 real, um, yeah, the the hook for where we're actually where we're actually going. Um, so I think that that's um. Uh, that's all very um, clearly intentional, but it's it's it, this tells me something about who the, whom the trailer believes it is communicating with, right? Um, uh, but I will say they're covering their bases pretty well. That's what right? I was going to ask. I'm like, who do you think the trailer's playing for? Because I feel like it was as broad as it could be while still yeah. Yeah. tipping a hat to the fan. Right. I felt like they sent a really clear message to the fan base in the title trailer by the fact that they did the only voiceover we got, the only voice that we heard was just reading the ring poem, right? It was all text straight out of the book, right? Um, uh, And that I thought was a pretty clear um, signal, right? Um, But it was also clear in another sense, like Tolkien, so 
non-Tolkien fans will recognize it vaguely, right? I mean, they'll know, I think, you start, you start reciting the ring poem, ending with one ring to rule them all. I mean, if there is one line of text that Tolkien ever wrote that has made it into every level of I'm the popular imagination, it is one ring to rule them all, right? Yeah. Think of the hundreds of thousands of memes on that line that have happened, you know, uh, in the, uh, you know, that one blank to rule them all is used constantly, right? So yeah. on, th on that level, the ring verse is going to be enormously uh, familiar. But again, to Tolkien fans, it's also going to, sh to, to say, look, grounded in the text, right? But even more than that, Tolkien fans might know, might recognize that the ring verse, remembering the context of the ring verse, right? It was the verse about the forging of the rings. And so we're getting, and then the, you know, that combined with the visual imagery of the melting metal and everything, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, gets us into forging of the rings of power uh, frame of mind. Um, but anyway, so when I, when I said like the audience in particular, again, with these titles that we're getting here, um, I think they are, um, I, I agree with you that it's very general. They're doing things for Tolkien fans. They're doing things for Peter Jackson fans, right? Contextualizing this mm -hmm. in con in connection with the Peter, you know, like to kind of kind of frame it in relationship to what you know, right? If you're a, uh, if you're a Peter Jackson film fan, um, and then also doing general hooks for like, hey, do you are you vaguely interested in a high fantasy, fantasy. epic? If so, right. then you, like you know. Sports? Right. Yeah. Are you a fan of arrows? And <laughs> yeah, also just, exactly. And also just alluding to the titles, you know, I mean, if you lived under a rock, you might not have known the titles of Lord of the Rings films. But if you had never been to the cinema 2001 to 2003, if you didn't ever see the movie, you still knew the titles like they dominated for three yeah. years and they dominated the Academy Awards that that year that uh, Return of the King got everything like. Yes they became commonplace. So mentioning those is just kind of like, a, oh yeah, I remember those those movies. Or yeah. you can go all the way to the other end and be like, heck yeah, that's them. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, and uh, anyway, I think, let's see, where do I think that this second sequence ends? Before the ring, shot to go That's the transition. The last title is the transition. Mm -hmm. The new legend begins this fall. And then that's when we get the increasingly rapid um, collage of shots after that. Um, and uh, I've just noticed, I've just noticed this as I was doing what you were doing, where you scroll over it and you just get like a little, if yeah. you do it real fast, look at the color change in the trailer. We open with like warm light and the grassy moose antlers and then everything else is blue and dark everything is blue and dark right we get the until, warm dark of the campfire right blue until that title and and then you have oranges and fires and the leaves and bright and oh that's really interesting so that's a really good tactic that right, you know yeah, it's kind of subdued 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 and then as the pace picks up the imagery also changes to be really fiery and warm yeah so uh 
right at that uh, title, A New Legend Begins This Fall, that's when the lighting picks up again. This shot of what is presumably Linden and Gilgalad mm -hmm. here on the cliff with the with the waterfall. That's the first like quasi daylight shot that we've gotten mm -hmm. against. You're right. I didn't notice the dark and blue, but you're right. And then we've got uh, dark and warm. But yeah, then fiery. Yeah, the fiery, the but orange. But still red, you know, red beard, warm skin, uh, warm light behind Elrond. Fire, like sparks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the glint, the orange glint of presumably fire on the armor of the elves in that mm -hmm. last scene. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know the importance of that yet. I just love seeing those things and being like, file that away. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is an interesting... Uh, uh, that is an interesting trend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Bjarne uh by the way, yeah, I don't want anybody to think I'm making any claims that, like, any of the things we're observing are, like, unique to this trailer or, like, super novel or whatever. Like, it, 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 I, I, you know, who knows? Maybe they're following exactly the template that every other trailer does. My point is just that they're they're doing... Uh, they're Even then, even when you're following a convention on purpose... Like what you do with that convention is interesting, right? And so, yeah, yeah. And it I means mean, they're I, trying to meet an expectation. So, like, that's interesting. That's yeah. That is in itself mm. interesting. Um, yeah, but um, um, yeah, Sarah was pointing out how the even in the armor here uh, with the shot of what is reputedly Finrod in battle against what look to be orcs. Um, you've got again the very the dark and blue orcs and the gold with the orange light shining on them elves there right so you've got the mm -hmm. um it's a very uh light being surrounded by darkness kind of uh, uh kind of shot there um yeah it's the uh the fiery crater which is the most by far the most orange of all, but yeah, no, that's very interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, cool. But um, okay, where do we want to go? Where do we want to go? Well, there's more that could be. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about all the different images and things. Um, I th if the last thing I I wanted to hit on, and this is unclear to me meteor guy mm -hmm. if and i think it is so this is the naked guy shot right mm -hmm. um if, if in the foreground there is the hobbit girl who was the voiceover at the beginning and who was sitting by the fire and she's grabbing you know and pulling naked guy out of the flaming pit in the middle of the crater. And I think we can see her. Yes, we can see her next to him there in this wider shot as well. Um, that would seem this. It's hard because it's hard enough to make out, especially, I mean, you have to be able to freeze it really in order to be able to tell it would have, t I would have had to watch it probably if I couldn't slow it down or stop it, I probably would have had to watch it 20 times before I noticed that that was probably her um, in that in that shot. But if that's her pulling, if the guy whom she's looking up at next to the campfire here, 
right? Mm. The guy in that robe, who is Apple Dude, who is whose hand she's taking at the end, is the guy is Meteor Guy, right? Is the guy if that is her, you know? So and of course we do have the repeated motif of the hands, right? Him reaching out his hand and her grabbing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now you'll you'll notice that it's different. Um, he's reaching out his. The context of the hand grabbing is quite different, right? Her body language here is I'm hauling you out. Like I, she's rescuing him here. Oh, see, I pictured the other way. Right now. I thought he was propped up and bracing himself and lifting her. I thought she was but pulling I, him. I well, can see and the it. Reason, the reason I think that she's pulling him and not him pulling her is because her hands are on the outside. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, her hand is on top of his there. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he were pulling her, his hand would be on the, on, on the outside, wouldn't it? That's, that's the yeah. thing that makes me think that she's trying to, plus he's the one who seems to be in distress. I mean, they're both in the middle of the fire, so they're. He is you know, naked in fire, so. He is naked in fire. That would seem <laughs> inconvenient Problematic. for most folks. Um, uh, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, so he's. One way or another, we have the hand-holding, right? And the hand-holding in a very different context than it seems like we're getting it in that final shot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, as I said, I would not have caught... It would have taken me 25 times watching this to catch that if yeah. I didn't have the ability to freeze it. But, of course, they know we're going to have the ability to freeze it when they release it. So, uh, especially since they released it on YouTube first. Um, so, anyway... Um, I think that that's this scene to me introduces an interesting note of doubt, even of fear in my mind into the whole, like if we think about the way in which her character, her words and her, you know, the, and the clasping of hands at the end serves as like the, the sort of the frame of the whole trailer. Right. Um, her words are all of uh, hope and curiosity and mm-hmm. um, and then of at the end of confidence and intimacy and, you know, f- friendship um, there at the end. Um, but this moment, like holding hands with naked guy in the middle of the fire, I find it interjects doubt <laughs> as to like the tenor of that whole relationship and that whole question. Um, are things. Um, and then I come back to the, I can feel it. Right. Are her convictions in fact, well-grounded, right? They're not, they're grounded in a very subjective experience, right? Her own, her own feelings of things, which might be right. But might not be right. I don't know. Anyway, so I, I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain. And then I think I'm also being influenced by the fact that I'm um, I have a bad feeling about Meteor Guy. But, um, you yeah, know, apart from that. Um, yeah. OK, so. Um, don't think I have strong feelings about her yet, but I'm taking all this in and going, hmm, we'll see. Maybe, maybe. Um, so. We didn't talk about the other character for whom we do seem to get something like a story arc would be Galadriel. Um, mm. uh, maybe rather than maybe Elrond. Poor Galadriel. Yeah, we do get a little bit of an arc with Elrond as mm. well. Um, but 
what do we learn about Galadriel in this trailer? Mm. She's badass. That is the main she thing is. they want us to see and know. Dude, I just noticed something for the first time. She's also not alone. I didn't notice the two dudes below her on the ice. Look at those guys. Oh, yeah. Me. I thought they looked like trolls. Yeah, I didn't know what they, I didn't catch what they were, but they seem to have the exact same headgear and cloak that she has. So she's clearly the topmost of a team, it would seem to be, scaling the ice here. Which oh, definitely suggests that she's climbing up rather than, although we see primarily lateral movement, right, in this shot. Um, mm. It's also clearly clear that she's trending her way up, right? Uh, yeah. uh, presumably if she started down where they are and she replaces them, like she like displaces them in the shot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just her. And then, of course, we get the dramatic look up. She's not quite looking us in the eye, right? Her gaze is a little bit off-centered from mm -hmm. us. Like we're not making eye contact with Galadriel here, but it's close to eye mm. contact with Galadriel here. Um, anyway, so we see her... Um, we see her, uh, what do we see? Striving, climbing. This mm -hmm. is a, this is a, this is a gritty act on her part, right? We mm -hmm. don't know what she's doing. We don't know why she's doing this. She could be trying to save herself. She could be trying to get somewhere. She could be trying to overcome, but the whole, I am scaling up a cliff using only my dagger thing. Yeah. Is and intrepid, forceful. And in no way seems fretful. She's just like, yep, I got this. Decisive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Decisive. Yeah. Um, so this is, she is, this is not a person on the defensive here, right? Um, she's, she's overcoming an obstacle, a very significant obstacle. Um, even though her apparent resources for this task are fairly limited, right? As she seems only to have a dagger and nothing else in the way of climbing tools, right? Who needs a harness or an ice pick? No. Nope. I know. Seriously. Come on. Glad you have yeah. a, a cool dagger. Then we get um, the raft boat thing mm -hmm. and the guy um, uh, on his wreck of a raft. Um, but we don't learn anything about that except the word fellowship is juxtaposed with him, mm -hmm. which seems important. Um and then we get arrow catching dude. Then we get, so, but I'm but I'm focusing on Galadriel's story. Here's our next Galadriel move. What do we have again? Assertive. We have Galadriel. Now this is not a cavalry charge mm -hmm. per se. No one's carrying a weapon, right? They're not charging into battle here. Um, there, but she is leading a posse of people riding somewhere very fast. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have the uh, the obvious distinction of her with her white horse, right? Her white horse mm -hmm. separated from the pack, so she's very visually distinct uh, from every. We don't even see the other people. We don't know if they're humans or, or elves. Um, but very um, much out in front, very much leaning forward. Again, you've got rule of thirds here, um, and the fact that she's leaning in and going from left to right, everything is that she is charging confidently ahead. You know, there's nothing holding her back. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, so we have Goadriel as undaunted overcomer of obstacles in the first shot. Um, we have Goadriel as as leader, right? I am leading the charge in the second shot. This dude who looks like he is a member of Goadriel's posse, or at least was, uh, we don't doesn't look 
excellent for him. Um, and then the next time we get Galadriel is here, right? Galadriel with the wet hair being manhandled and her ear mm. revealed, right? Um, and she looks annoyed, right? Um, but she's in this first shot of her. This is, the, I think, this is the first frame that we get of her. Um, she looks vulnerable. She's not wearing much armor. She's not wearing armor. I mean, she, I don't think she's naked, but she's wearing like a, a you know, a, a bedraggled tunic, and mm-hmm. her hair is not in a great place, right? I mean, you know, she's just got wet, bedraggled hair, um, and she's sitting. She's sitting. He's standing, right? Um, you know, we get this shot of his beefy arm uh, juxtaposed with her head. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. from the very first moment of this shot, um, he's very much in this sort of dominant position over her. Here mm. it seem, which is an interesting juxtaposition uh, from what we've seen from her. Right, mm. this is shot three of Galadriel in this sequence. Um, and if we follow the idea of you know the left to the right that I just mentioned, we talked about last time too. The this is right to left, so the thread of the arm is coming from the right. So that's yeah. kind of pulling her back. Right. Yeah, mm. moving in the other direction, um, and causing her. She's she's still facing to the right, right? Mm-hmm. She's she's facing the forward-looking direction, right? Um, but his hand pulling her hair aside forces her head back and her to turn that way, right? Mm-hmm. Her eye, we see her eye and head turn up, yeah. 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 Um, and her whole posture rocks backwards from where, from where she was. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And then discovering the the ear, it's. I mean, obviously that was the real reveal to say yeah. this should be a shock of some kind. But I also really loved the look on her face. If you're a Phil Pullman fan, you know how they describe um, when someone touches your demon. That's what it <laughs> hit for me. You know, is this like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yes, yes. That, there's a, a boundary has just been transgressed mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, the uh, yeah, like I can't believe you just touched me. Uh, right. Uh, thing. Yes. Absolutely. Um. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um. And again, I think that's also there's also, I think fan service involved here, right? Tolkien mm. people know Goadriel's hair is a big deal, right? Um. Uh, Goadriel's hair is a big deal, so I think that's. And then I don't think we get her again. No, we do not. Yeah. That's it. We get those three shots of Galadriel. So um, what do we get of Galadriel's story? Well, the last point that I would make about this, though, is that although the dynamics of this shot are not promising, right, as far as, like, her and her relationship to Beefy Arm Dude, right, who is presumably this Halbrand character or whatever, um, but um, but remember, how were we introduced to him in this trailer? We were introduced to him. He came immediately after the word fellowship, right? Um, Mm. And so that's what I'm kind of assuming, thinking about um, his character and her relationship with him, Mm. right? Um, And uh, uh, Praise, you're certainly right. I'm not assuming that the shots, the order of the sequence of the shots is chronological um, at all. Um, I I, I don't want to give that impression. I was only thinking of the three of them as they're presented. Um, And 
if I had to characterize like the story of Galadriel as we're seeing, it's like a two in one, right? Um, the first two shots go together really well. Galadriel in the lead, Galadriel being brave, Galadriel uh, taking charge and being bold. And here we have her in this vulnerable position, bedraggled, sitting down with somebody standing over her. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even though she does not seem to approve of being touched here, um, I agree with you about the boundary being crossed. Nevertheless, we also don't see her stabbing the, the guy. Yeah, <laughs> right? smacking the hand Either. away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, she's still, you know, apart from turning and looking at him, she's not moving or doing anything. So th there's a huge contrast, in other words, between the first two yeah. and the third time that we see her. Um, and I think that that's... Um, seems to me to set me up again if i'm if i'm picking up what they're putting down here uh, it prepares me for her to be uh, uh bold you know a bold go-getter but also that this story is going to make her vulnerable that she is going to be um she she she's going to have a rocky road uh over the course of this show in some ways um the, I contrasted with like gilgalad right who is the well-dressed dude in front of the crowd from the beginning, you know, and, and, and sort of all the way through. Um, but, um, which is excellent yeah. character development. I mean, if, if you just have a Galadriel that's strong and confident the whole way through, there's no room to grow. There's no scope, you know, and that, that's exactly we, the other conclusion that I feel that. forced to. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. don't know if it's a fall because we can't really tell by this. No, but, we can't tell by that. I mean, yeah. it doesn't look like she's running the charge in that shot. So we assume she's kind of at somebody's mercy. Here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but no, that's exactly the conclusion that I draw that she is, mm -hmm. that um, the idea is there is going to be development of Galadriel's character. Mm -hmm. And that by itself oh. is a big deal. Yeah, that's I mean, fantastic. Yeah, we don't get development of like Galadriel's character is not. I mean, stuff happens. I'm not. You know, Galadriel has this really important moment in the book and in the film, uh, right when she refuses to take the ring. But Galadriel's character does not exactly have an arc, right? Um, you know, she is up there. She remains up there. She has this important moment where she doesn't fall, which is which is great and everything, right? But again, she's not exactly somebody who has a developed character arc. That's not what mm -hmm. Tolkien was doing with her character. Uh, in she's more of a tool to get the others to where they need to be. Right, right. And and I find Peter Jackson's Galadriel even uh, uh, more limited in terms of, of mm -hmm. growth uh, than, uh, uh, than Tolkien's Galadriel was. Um, partly just because we see more of Tolkien's Galadriel than we do of Peter Jackson. So of course he had more time. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, anyway, um, so yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, Sarah, I totally agree. I think that Kate Blanchett did a lovely job with Galadriel. Totally agree that Kate Blanchett did a lovely job. Um, again, I'm just saying like the growth of Galadriel's character is clearly not a, a major element of the story, right? Um, not every character has that kind of arc. Like if every character grows and changes and develops, like there have to be some constants for, you know, if everybody's yeah. changing, then you just have chaos, right? Well, and it doesn't um, mean that's a criticism. It just means that some no, characters are facilitators. It, some characters just have to move action forward. 
So, you know, while you hope everybody has an arc, no matter how small their part is, there isn't always time for that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, um, I can't help but think of, uh, uh, the idea that story is all about character and character development, um, is a very modern idea. Um, and not a necessity in terms of mm. storytelling. Many excellent stories are stories about not very interesting uh, characters who are not themselves deep or interesting or complex characters, which don't change very much because they are like, again, if everything is in motion, if everything is dynamic and moving, uh, you have, you don't have a story, you have chaos, right? And it's really hard to parse. Um, Modern people like, we prefer to have the stable things be like the background and the characters to be the ones moving and changing. But one pretty frequent tactic of storytelling in the older era is to have characters who were static and have other, like the story is what, you know, changes, like the plot is what changes and grows. Mm -hmm. um, and if you had the character, if the character were dynamic. The example of this that C.S. Lewis gives famously is Alice in Wonderland. Like Alice is Wonderland is the point of that story, right? Mm -hmm. Like Wonderland is weird and strange and wonderful and if Alice were a really complex character, she would totally wreck the story. Like it would just be like there would there wouldn't be any but Alice is simple. Alice doesn't change. There's something to hold on. She she gives us a, a, a place to to hold on to, right? Because in that case, you've got the character in the foreground is the unchanging thing, and the background is what is all going wild all the time. And in order for us to process that, we, anyway, the point is you can tell stories in other ways apart from having dynamic characters. Um, though I, I guess there aren't a lot of people in Hollywood who seem to believe that. But anyway, um, anyway, the point is, again, the conclusion I'm drawing here is that Galadriel is going to be one of our main characters in this show and that her character is going to be undergoing like major like upheavals of circumstances and uh, that she is going to be one of those characters whose arc is going to be central to the story of the show. That's I guess three shots of her. So, you know, I got to be a little bit cautious drawing two confident conclusions from that, but that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. From I, it's also giving me a little bit of comfort though, that, you know, there's been so much backlash about the strong female character the last few years that people are just handing a muscled woman a gun. And, and if she can handle it, then she's a strong female character. That's right. not the definition of strong female character. You know, we want a character, a strong character who happens yes. to be female. So if, if we are getting a gladial, who does have those kind of nuances and levels, then I'm way more interested. And it means that maybe they are taking a little bit more care of these characters and thinking about right. it a little bit more and not just, oh, she's strong and sexy and has armor and functional. Cool. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if we got nothing but those first two shots, mm -hmm. that would have been on the table, right? That we're right. getting that kind of strong But character. that hot second is enough for yeah. us to be like, oh. there's There's more going on here with her character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that that's, I, 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 I think that that's interesting. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Uh, there's obviously much more that could be said. Um, but let's leave 23 minutes left. We have 23 minutes there. Let's leave it for now. Cause I want to talk about something else too. All right. I know you so have a lot gonna, to cover sir. 
We do have a lot to cover. Okay, so I'm going to set that aside for now. Um, I want to talk about... Um, I want to talk a little bit more about Critfic because I talked about this a few weeks ago and there have been a lot of, I've been getting a lot of questions and seeing some, and, and there's some, some, a, a few things I want to, uh, explain a little bit more that I think, I think, uh, I, there's a lot of people who are confused and enough, enough people are confused that it's obviously my fault. Uh, so let me explain a couple things a little bit better. What I mean by Critfic and why I think it's a, it's an important issue for people to be aware of. Um, I said last time, at the end of last time, when we, when I talked about wanting to talk about this, that the number one thing that I was regretting about how I framed things the first time was simply just saying, "Don't do it, don't do it, you shouldn't do it." Here's the thing that I want to that I want to carefully emphasize, because I, I I'm not backing down from that. I still think you shouldn't do critfic, but I want to make an important distinction that I think a lot of people weren't seeing. The core issue with critfic, what critfic is, it's not. The core issue is that it's not analysis of the work. It is a different thing. When you are making a statement, when you are making up a story about what is going on in the head of the artist who created the work or what circumstances influenced the making of the work. When you're making a statement about either one of the, telling a story about either one of those things, right? You are not saying anything about, you're not doing analysis of the work. What you're doing is a different thing. And the problem with Critfic is that people make those statements as if they are saying something about the work. And it creates confusion, which leads to nonsense. So let me give an example. This is the one, the, what inspired this? Like, the reason I coined this term and started talking about this was the response to the Hobbit films. And I got really frustrated, not because people thought the Hobbit movies were bad. I quite agreed with them there. But what really frustrated me about the negative response to the Hobbit films was that what I kept hearing was nothing but critfic. People would say, the Hobbit movies are bad. And I'd say, why? Why do you think the Hobbit movies are bad? And they'd say, well, they were just a money grab. Or it's because of the split from two movies into three. And I'm like, okay. Sure. Okay. Now, so think about the first of those statements. They're just a money grab. That is a claim about what the motivations of the filmmakers was. Right. And as a, perhaps it's true. I mean, of course, on the one hand, of course, it's true. Every movie ever made was made in order to make money. Right. Every indie film ever created. They presumably actually wanted to make a profit from that film, even if a modest kind of one, always right? the goal of filmmaking. It's yeah. kind of all it's, 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 it's a business uh, situation. Right. So, um, but anyway, even, even apart from that, right. I, again, like my, 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 my issue is not like, can you, like, is that a valid thing to say that the Hobbit movies were a money grab? My point is that by making that claim about what motivated the filmmakers, you've still said nothing about nothing. why it's a bad film at okay, all. But sense. you think you have and it, you sound like you have and everybody kept doing this. This is what I kept hearing. Everybody kept making claims like this and then thinking that a conversation about the films had happened and nothing was said. And, and so the first one is a claim about the motivations of the filmmakers. The second one, it's because of the split into from two movies into three. That's why the Hobbit movies are bad movies, right? Well, okay, that is a, a statement about the circumstances which impacted the making of the films, right? Now, was that 
a factor that was involved in some ways? Did it contribute to the badness of the? It very likely did contribute to the. But you still haven't told me about the film. You still haven't told me a thing about the film, right? Not the first thing. Neither of them is a statement about the film. So now, and other thing, I would want to clarify. You're always free to say, "I didn't like it." Like that's fine. You can say, and you don't have to justify that, right? If you're just if if your only goal is to say, "I dislike that," then. I'm not, I'm not, so, you know, I don't want anybody to think that what I'm saying here is that, like, you must always be able to prove all of your statements with, like, concrete analysis. If your statement is, I hated the Hobbit films, that's fine. You don't need a, Mm -hmm. you don't don't need to, you don't need an excuse for that. But if you're going to say, this is a bad movie, or this is a bad adaptation of Tolkien, well, that's a claim that you do need to support, right? And if you don't want to support that, Stop saying it. Just say you didn't like it, right? Yeah. Um, but that—that's—that's my—that's the kind of there. There's a kind of intellectual dishonesty that Critfit can kind of trick you into, right? Um, where again, where you might even think you've said something substantive about the film, and 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 again, I'm not blaming people who do this. Like it's this is absolutely endemic. Once you notice this. You see it literally everywhere, on every level, right? And I'm not just saying like, oh, like the naive amateurs who are always doing this. All of the professionals are doing this. Film critics do this. Scholars do this. Everybody. It is completely endemic, to, uh, especially to the modern world. Every I think it's, it's kind of always happened, but um, but especially in the modern world, um, this uh, uh, this is always this is always well, happening. I, and I think really natural. I think. You know, there's there is this desire to feel like you have a place at the in the conversation, and the best sure. way to do that is to judge something. So it's right. it's kind of a cop out, but you well, know, that's exactly it, does... it. Like I would say, you're kind of like I don't think it's uh, you know a sort of a reasonable or respectable thing to do to try to have it both ways, right? Again, if you're just wanting to express an opinion, I didn't like it. That's fine, and you can even explain why you didn't like it, and it doesn't matter, honestly. Like. Again, because you're, you're welcome to your opinion about that. You're welcome to how your reactions are your reactions. Um, but again, if you're going to make claims, that was about like the way that what they're doing with Tolkien is bad. What, and obviously, you know, it's not hard to see the relevance to the current situation and all these things that I'm saying. Um, you do have a, 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 I mean, in my opinion, if you're going to make claims like that, you do have a, 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 a sort of a responsibility to be prepared to explain that rationally and mm-hmm. courteously, ideally. Um, but, and, but the problem is that Critfic doesn't do that and cannot do that. Like, it's just, it is simply... A, just, and l- 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 let me give a personal example. Um, and uh, Maggie will like this. It's a non-Tolkien example. Um, I strongly dislike the Star Wars prequels. Um, I hated them from when I first saw them in the uh, theaters. I had this moment years ago, about four years ago or so. My younger son was uh, like nine or ten, um, and he'd seen the prequels. Um, we had a, um, you know, my wife and I were not in full agreement uh, over her objections. She withdrew, you know, she she went along with showing our sons the prequels. When we watched Star Wars together for the first time, Um we had a big debate, my wife and I did, about whether we should even show them the prequels. And we decided we should. The argument that I made that convinced her was, 
like we can't just like raise them in ignorance like they're going to be exposed to this sooner or later so we might as well do it in the home you know in a safe environment so exactly right right yeah so so anyway so when um but she wouldn't she actually would not watch them with them like she refused <laughs> so she watched the original trilogy and then she left she just can't she can't can't, can't handle it anyway um i love it so we had this moment. It was a couple years after this, right? It was a couple years after this. My, my, my younger son comes to me. And he was, he was, I mean, he wasn't like crying or anything, but he was like, he was, he was upset. He's like, Dad, I don't understand. Everybody says The Phantom Menace is horrible, but it's my favorite Star Wars movie. Why is it bad? Why no. does everybody say The Phantom Menace is a bad movie? And it was, it was, re- I mean, it was, a, it was, a, it was really like heart stirring moment, right? Um, he just, he couldn't, he, he couldn't see it. And it was really hard. I mean, first of all, it put me in a really hard position because if there's anything I hate more than trying to convince people that something's awful, I can't think what it is. Like, I hate that, right? Um, if I strongly dislike something and think it's bad, I'll usually just not talk about it. Uh, you know, I, I strongly dislike dismantling something uh, and, like, explaining what's horrible about it. Um, I, that's just, I find it unpleasant. Okay, that's partially true. It's also partially a lie. It's also, there's another sense in which it's, like, all too pleasurable, uh, to dismantle something else. Yeah. Um, all too pleasurable in a way that makes me feel really dirty afterwards. Right. Uh, basically. Like, I don't want to engage in all of that negativity, but sometimes no. it's fun to just... Like, to build myself up apart. because uh, of, like, at the expense of someone and something else. Like, mm-hmm. it's... it's Anyway. Um, uh, for... On several levels, I don't... It's something I try not to do. But, anyway... So here I was, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I say? So, like, when confronted with something like that, a crit fic is not going to satisfy him, right? I mean, if I had responded to my son by saying, oh, well, so the prequels are bad because George Lucas was, like, completely off the chain, right? I mean, like, George Lucas was just, like, out of his mind um, uh, and had completely lost his way in making those films. My son would have been there, like... Okay, but why is The Phantom Menace a bad movie? You haven't explained anything, right? Um, And, I mean, what I I was able basically to... I'm like, look, one of the main things is, like, the dialogue is so bad. Like, the dialogue is so bad. And and it was interesting. It was actually interesting watching them. I was particularly sensitive during Attack of the Clones, during the whole, like, inexpressibly painful uh, and cringy Anakin and Padme romance sequence in Attack of the Clones, right? And I was, like, watching it with them when I was showing it to them the first time, and I'm, like, writhing, you know, as I'm watching these scenes. And um, and then I look over at my sons, who were, again, at the time, they were, like, 13 and 8 or something like that, you know, my two sons. And um, I look over at my sons, and they're just, like, unaffected yeah. because they weren't paying attention to the dialogue. Like, they didn't care. <laughs> care at all um, well it's kind of making me think about that character arc thing too like they didn't need those characters to have an arc they were just moving the story along so they didn't need yeah. that emotion or that depth no yeah. and, it, and that's why it was so shallow in the end in its effect but um anyway so it's like if you're going to when you're in a if you're ever in a parental situation like that right when you need i mean when there's a situation because when you're saying this is a bad thing you know this is a bad work of art 
again, there's responsibility to be able to explain that, right? And Critfic is just not going to help you. So if discussion of the work itself is the question that you're interested in, you, it, you really need to avoid Critfic. You need to stop and make sure that you're doing actual analysis of the film, not making statements about the circumstances of the film's creation or making up stories, imagining things about what may or may not have been going through the head of the person who was doing it at the time. Um, and it's in the end, it's a way of shirking hard work. I mean, pointing to circumstances is easy like the money grab thing or the three, you know, two movies to three movies. It's easy to make claims, right? It's a money grab, ergo, it was bad, right? Um, that's an easy claim to make. Um, and there's not, you know, I mean, what do you have to do to prove it? Like they made a lot of money. So that proves your point, right? I guess, mm -hmm. there it is. Um, but you're just avoiding the work, right? Hot takes are simple. Analysis is hard, like actually, supporting your argument with clear evidence and putting together that argument in a way that's going to be compelling, that's hard to do. That's a lot of work. And um, there's always a, 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 the temptation to avoid this. And again, please don't misunderstand. This is not me being elitist, being like, only us true scholars do this kind of thing. Let me tell you, if there is one thing that I see throughout the work of professional scholars, it is this tendency to avoid this hard work. Um, I don't know how many scholarly articles I have read over my career where people are making really interesting observations, and then it comes to the place where you're supposed to do the really hard work of putting, synthesizing that stuff together and making a really interesting conclusion, and the author just punts. Or they don't even attempt. They're just like, so in conclusion, we see, look at all these lovely observations I've made. Thank you very much. Right? I mean, like that's like the end of 75% of scholarly articles that I've ever read, right? Um, it's, it's, it's really hard. Making observations, building an argument, drawing a conclusion, that's really hard to do. It's a lot of work to do. And so therefore, any, even unconsciously, there's always going to be the temptation to like find the path of least resistance, right? Uh, and so having recourse to, um, you know, knee-jerk reactions, sloppy thinking, um, you know, I, the, the crit fic, it's, it's, it's very, it's very natural. Like it's, it's very understandable that that happens. Um, yeah. And I also like, I enjoy engaging in it sometimes. So like, I want to make sure I'm okay admitting that as well. And mm -hmm. I hope you're still right. my friend after I say yeah, that, Corey. But, but, no, you know, the, the, like I, it is really fun to engage in that. I don't think we should say like it's, and I know you're not saying this, but like it's, we're not saying it's off the table. It's a great way to connect with people. It's a great way to like shoot the shiz after seeing the movie and, and just really have a good moment of like, oh, let's dig in. But right. that's different than analysis. It's very it's different. different analysis. You know? Yeah. And yeah. if you're gonna, if you're gonna insist that the thing is bad, or again, if you're gonna insist like, this is like this thing is butchering Tolkien. Like okay, like you you okay, you've crossed the yeah, line if now. You're gonna, now if you you're have gonna to use those, <laughs> and if you're going to use those words that we said we we're going to try not to use of like right. betrayal, you know, infidelity, right. like all right. those really heavy words, you gotta you gotta be able to talk about that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, exactly what you were just talking about is exactly the kind of thing that I also that I want to recognize. Right, I'm not at all saying that you can't like it's it's not okay if people want to speculate about what was going on in the mind of the artist, like that's a legit, like on its own, that's like, you know, it, 
you can that, that's a, a fine subject of conversation like well, it's and, a great exercise you know it's really I think it's good especially if you are a creative person to think about somebody's process like I think that's really important to engage with speculatively but that's not that's not yeah. a citation that is not a factual that is that is discussion and speculation yeah exactly yeah so keeping that in mind is always one difficult I mean uh, I, whenever I hear people doing this, I always think they are way more confident that they know what's going on in the heads of these other people than they, uh, than is probably true. Um, but again, like it's, if that's what you're doing, that's okay. And the fact is, uh, you know, I, so I was defining critfic as making these, you know, a claims about, uh, you know, a statement about the circumstance or a claim about what was going on in people's heads and mistaking it for a statement, a, a claim about the work, right? Like as if you're making a statement about the work. Um, but the fact is most of the time, I think the work is not itself actually the focus. Um, I don't think most people are actually interested in discussing the thing as a work of art, but the problem is they still use that language. Right. Yeah. And that's the, that's again, that's where I think this issue comes in. Right. Um, if what you're interested in is speculating about the mind of the maker, if what you're interested in is like the inside scoop about the circumstances of the filmmaking, right? What was going on behind the scenes when the movie was being made? And, and like, so, you know, so maybe in the Hobbit films, what you're really interested in is like the, like differences between the filmmaking process for the Lord of the Rings and the filmmaking process for the Hobbit and how things were like not under control and, and you know, whatever, like the, 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 you know, the differences and, um, okay, cool. Like if that's what you're interested in, that's totally fine. I'm not saying that it's like wrong or bad to be interested in those things and to be asking those questions. Um, but just don't make the mistake. It's, it's all about the confusion, right? It's all about confusing a statement about the circumstances, a statement about the author for analysis of the work. Um, and, you know, stepping across that line really incautiously, right? That's, that's the, that's, that's the problem. And people do it all the time, all the well, time. And all this, the time. Isn't, this isn't new. I mean, death of the author, when was that yeah. written? Right. I mean, this yeah. is like English 101 is the thing we all have to read of, do you consider the author when you're reading a book? And, a conversation I, you know, just had with my class about J.K. Rowling, and you know, we have often had at Signum with H.P. Lovecraft, like this conversation about the author and their life. Do you take that into account when reading the work? Like, this is not new. <laughs> so not at all. take a breath not at all. and try to engage with the actual art and yeah. and see what you yeah. can glean from that itself. Yeah, and even you know, when you think about that, you think about the um, one of the reasons. People who have listened to a lot of my podcasts will know I am uh, rarely interested in talking about the life of the author and bringing that into the discussion of the work. And I'm sometimes actively resistant to that. One of the primary reasons that I am, there are two reasons why that's my tendency when I'm doing this kind of analysis. One is because I'm very sensitive to the blurring of that frontier, right? Um, uh, when you're bringing in, especially like things that get brought in that are mere speculations about what Tolkien like might have been thinking or feeling about a certain thing, right? Or like things that he said about a thing at one point in his life and applying it to a thing that he wrote at a totally different point in his yeah. life, right? Um, and I mean, in any 
any of us who have lived a life, which I think is most of us, will know that like your mindset 25 years ago probably not the same as your mindset towards things right now, right? So you have to be just have to be careful about this. And it's I usually find it's it tends to get done a little incautiously in those ways. And it, it just makes me uncomfortable right away. And I'm just like, ah, let's just not. <laughs> Can we just not? Can we just not? I mean, because I, I, we, in order to do that carefully, in order to do that well, a whole lot of more work needs to be done. But that's usually not what people are wanting to do. People are wanting to bring in, uh, you know, like, oh, but Tolkien was Catholic, so, you know, mm-hmm. therefore we know that this reading of this passage must be right. And I'm like, golly, gosh, okay. That's, we can't, no, we can't do that. Like we can't, that's, that's, um, you know, there's, that's, that's a problem, right? If you um, want to say that that's interesting to note, great. Hang on to that. But that's yeah. not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard. So that's one reason why <laughs> I tend to avoid that. Another reason why I tend to avoid that, um, is, um, is that again, I want to, I want to keep my focus on the work. And as soon as you start talking about the life of the author, one of two things is happening. Either you are kind of, you're confusing your data sets, right? Um, Again, you're like drawing lines between facts about his life and observations from the book. And you're trying to draw lines between them. And I'm like, you know, I'm really tenuous. I I think that those lines are often really tenuous. And and, and so I I don't want to go there. But another thing is like, wait, what are we talking about now? Um, because a lot of times what I find is that the conversation tends, as soon as we start talking about that, the conversation starts to shift and we're no longer making observations about and drawing conclusions about the work. Mm-hmm. We're now drawing conclusions about him, the person, right? And about his life. Um, and I'm not saying that making observations about a book or about a movie in order to draw, like, so say you wanted to, um, if you were to I take the like random statement I made before about how like you know George Lucas was like had completely lost his focus right when making the prequels right um, okay say you wanted to write a thesis on that subject right um, what exactly how did George Lucas lose his mind exactly right in in doing that like uh, you can draw like so you want to draw conclusions about like George Lucas's frame of mind based on evidence in the films that he was making. Okay. That would be an interesting exercise, right? I'm not saying Mm -hmm. you can't do that, but what I would be saying again in my podcast is like that, that's, I, I, yes, we could, maybe we could try to draw some conclusions about Tolkien, the person based on what we're seeing in his text. And sometimes we're not going to kind of point, but that's, I'm like, that's not my interest. Like that's, I'm that's not what I'm wanting to do. Um, I want to draw conclusions about the book, so let's stick to it. Yeah. And from a film perspective, I really do enjoy looking at the past works of people because that so influences what happens next in terms of craft but in terms of inferring meaning i don't think you can say that guy directed transformers so he's crap you know right. <laughs> like you, you got to bring a little more to the table like it was it his camera angles was it the too many lens flares you know whatever right right your thing yeah, is. and like exactly so what what made it bad and then I, an interesting thing right now let's look at another film like is he doing the same crap things mm-hmm. <laughs> you know in the, has he learned something right did so, he yeah, learn I mean, yeah drawing, did he have to do that for a paycheck did this, yeah 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 did the studio have him under his thumb which i know we were going to talk about studios and conglomerates but we'll we'll have to pin that but yeah, like we'll, we'll you know you never time. know what the influences are so let's not engage with that and just yeah. say 
at the yeah. end of the day, that's my biggest thing. It's one of the, so, I mean, I will admit to a bias. Like I am just myself not interested. Like I am, uh, like if there's one category of like things that lots of people are interested in talking about, the number one thing I am least myself spontaneously interested in is celebrity gossip. Right. I think, I don't think there's anything that I know of in the world that I am <laughs> less interested in than celebrity gossip. I absolutely could not care at all. What I can't any... say the same thing, Corey. I know. No. And it's fine. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. But I'm not I... bringing it here. That's the difference. I'm sure. I love that stuff. I and am I will... sure. And, that... and, not... I'm... Yeah. and I don't mean gossip like Kardashians. I mean, you know, like what film did they work on? Who's going where? What? It's like, I love that stuff. And maybe they sure. felt this way. But. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm sure that, like, there is some defect in my own character and intellectual makeup that underlies my lack of interest in this. But I am not interested in it at all. And so, therefore, I'm biased against it. And I acknowledge that. So, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, deal yeah. with that. And I'm not trying to judge I, anybody who is fascinated, you know, who sees a film and is primarily fascinated in the personalities yeah. behind it and what's going on and wants to hear all about what... Orlando Bloom was saying during this scene and whatever, like I actually find the cast commentary a lot, generally fairly tedious uh, when I'm like in the Lord of the Rings films, even like I'm not very interested in what the cast, like, it's my least favorite of all of the uh, audio commentaries in the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings films. I'm just, I just, I just, I just don't care. Like I just don't care. That's not what I'm interested in. But, um, but again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. People are, it's fine for people to be interested in that. Um, again, it's just about being clear about what you are doing and what you are yeah. not doing. Um, and I and fully so, agree with Brett here in the chat when he says, yeah, my issue with it is when somebody says that it's finality, like they make a statement as if it is a fact. Right. We like about the author and what the author was thinking. And yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We exactly. cannot do that. You absolutely can. You can. Um, and um, anyway, so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. So yeah, the uh, other topic we were going to get to, but which we will say for next week, um, just to give a little preview of that. We want to talk about, there's been a lot of discussion, there are a lot of people who are concerned, not just about what they've seen in the trailer, but about the mere fact that this show is being produced by Amazon, right? Um, and so I want to talk about uh, production and the pressures on production and like groups and conglomerates and what this means for an adaptation. I want to make sure that we can, in my opinion, in large part, this is a question of like apply. This is like an applied crit fic question. Uh, a lot of, a lot of what I hear about this, I would classify as uh crit fic. I mean, the mere statement, um, I think this, this looks horrible because Amazon made it is crit fic. Like there's, there's no connection between those two statements. You're not saying anything about the substance of the thing. You're merely, again, you're making a statement about the circumstances of its making. But so I want to talk more about those circumstances. What does this mean? Right. Um, it's parallel to, and I hear a lot of people paralleling it to, um, the, uh, Disney and star Wars slash Marvel question, right? You know, what's, what's going, well, you know, what Disney has done to star Wars and all that kind of thing. I don't want to get too far down that exact rabbit hole. Um, I'm like, Ooh. yeah, but it's, but I mean, but, but I, Actually, I mean, I am a little bit interested to talk about it in that I, I think it's very much connected to this thing. And I hear a lot of similarities and I hear a lot of people making exact parallels yep. between, you know, Amazon is doing to Tolkien what Disney did to Star Wars. And, and, and I'm like, 
You still haven't okay. told me anything. You haven't told yeah. me anything, right? You haven't told me anything either about Star Wars or about Tolkien, actually. Um, so anyway, um, that's um, that's what we'll talk about first. <laughs> or not necessarily first. That's what we'll talk about next time. We're also going to have a, an, another guest next time. Um, and we're going to uh, discuss Numenor and the Second Age and hopefully the uh, the issue of the time compression. Uh, the projected time. We don't know exactly what the time compression is going to be. But the issue of time compression in the Second Age uh, in the Rings of Power show. So those will be our subjects next time with a special guest. Uh, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining yeah. us. Thanks Maggie for an awesome conversation yeah, again today. Thank you. Go team. And uh, yeah, uh, we will see folks again next Wednesday for another show. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Farewell.